Hear that? Believe it or not, summer is just around the corner. Luckily, Armorall, America's most trusted auto appearance brand, has what your car needs to get that perfect summer shine. Plus, now through May 31st, we'll give you $5 for every $20 you spend on Armorall products. That means car wash pods, protectant, tire shine, you name it. Find out how to get your $5 rebate at Armorall.com. Armorall, less work, more clean. Terms apply. I'm Tom Shalou. I'm Liz Peek. I'm Charles Payne, and this is the Fox News Rundown. Tuesday, May 31st, 2022. I'm Dave Anthony. We're not even halfway through primary election season. And while Republicans hope to pick candidates that win back control of Congress. I think Democrats are hopeful that Republicans will nominate the wrong candidate that, that might give them an opportunity to to win a seat uh, or keep a seat that might be in, in somewhat danger. I'm Chris Foster. More Americans are getting killed on the road. Speeding has been the forgotten safety problem in this country. We have a pandemic of speeding. And I'm Andy Puster. I've got the final word on the Fox News Rundown. It's been a busy month full of primary elections, but we have a long way to go. Three quarters of the states haven't had their contests yet. By the way, 33-0 in Texas. I was three on endorsements. Texas went first in March, but since then... Former President Trump hasn't kept up that perfect record. And you know, if I lost one race, they'd say Trump was humiliated. That's what they're waiting for. They're waiting for one race. Actually, he's now lost six, posting on Truth Social that some of those races were not possible to win. Perhaps the former president was referencing Georgia, where Trump targeted Governor Brian Kemp and Secretary of State Brad Raffensperger, fellow Republicans he claims failed him, in a quest to undo the 2020 election results. The former president backed David Perdue in the GOP primary. Perdue tells Fox Kemp can't beat Stacey Abrams in November. Our governor has divided our state over how he handled or allowed her to take over our elections in 2020, has denied anything happened, and is actually covering it up now. But Perdue lost big time. Brian Kemp beat him by more than 50 points. But the governor tells Fox, I've never said anything bad about President Trump. I don't plan on doing that. I praised, you know, him and his administration and Vice President Pence for the work that they did to help our state during the pandemic and a lot of other things that we worked on. Raffensperger also beat his Trump-backed challenger. Certainly what happened in Georgia was a real blow to him. Those were probably two of the most personal races that he was invested in. Tom Bevan is co-founder and president of Real Clear Politics. But I think overall, you see Trump is still obviously a major force in the Republican Party, if not his own person, more so his policies. I mean, yeah, it is a it is a America first. The Republican Party is an America first party. Now, every candidate on the ballot, even if they're not endorsed by Trump, are really hewing to his sort of America first policy platform. Do you think that President Biden helped that and, you know, this whole ultra MAGA thing and MAGA king that people liked? If if they're getting under President Biden's skin, isn't that what they want? Yeah, I think it actually was a a mistake uh, for for the Biden and the Democrats to say that and to do that. They they obviously think that it will benefit them and and motivate their base, um, but it certainly motivated Republicans 
in terms of, and that was the other thing I was going to say, we've seen enthusiasm on the Republican side, like huge turnout, Republican voters, very engaged, Democrats, not nearly as much. That's fairly typical for a first midterm, um, you know, for the party that's in power. But it also, you know, if Democrats don't get engaged, it will it will obviously not be good for them in November. And, uh, you know, they're facing sort of a perfect storm in terms of enthusiasm, you know, the issue mix, economy, all that stuff. And and so, um, as you mentioned, still some still a ways to go, still some races out there that where uh, I think Democrats are hopeful that Republicans will nominate the wrong candidate that, that, that might give them an opportunity to to win a seat uh, or keep a seat that might be in in somewhat danger. Um, so we'll have to wait and see. Now, are you talking about guys or women who might be considered too Trumpy? too much maybe focused on 2020 and 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 not looking ahead is that possibly what you're discussing here well a little bit i mean certainly you know doug mastriano the who won the governor's nod for republicans in pennsylvania there's there's a lot of discussion about him being a drag on the ticket we'll have to wait and see if if that is the case um i was thinking in my mind of uh the missouri senate race eric greitens new poll just came out has him up uh, three points. He's up about three points in our Rookler politics average. He's leading in the last three polls. He is a candidate that plenty of Republicans think has the kind of baggage, uh, you know, questions about his past that uh, that, you know, might make him one of those general election candidates that falls into the category of, you know, seats that were winnable. But for uh, a candidate, you know, Sharon Angle in Nevada, you know, Todd Aiken in Missouri, Richard Murdoch, Christine O'Donnell, the list goes on and on. There's usually one one of those, at least one every cycle where, you know, whether it's a Democrat or Republican, they nominate someone who just can't get the job done in the general election, despite the having very, very favorable political uh, you know, wins at their back. The House is still considered a Republican win, right? I mean, that's still what yeah. people believe that they're going to get. The, they don't need that many, a handful or more. And then they have the House, the Senate. Arizona is considered a big one. Democrats need to hold that one correct. Uh, obviously, Georgia. Herschel Walker's a Trump-backed candidate, of course. He's trying to unsee Raphael Warnock. Are those two big ones for Republicans? Well, I mean, sure. I mean, Democrats have four incumbents that are really, really in tough races, right? Uh, Cortez Masto in Nevada. You mentioned Mark Kelly in Arizona. You've got Warnock in Georgia, and you've got Maggie Hassan up in New Hampshire. And so, and then on the on the Republican side... You know, Republicans are defending open seats in Ohio, uh, Pennsylvania, North Carolina. And um, and then you've got Ron Johnson, Wisconsin. So those are the four on the Republican side that are going to be, uh, you know, competitive. But but certainly for Democrats, you know, Georgia and Arizona are, are two of the races where, you know, they're they're in real trouble, I think, politically. But with the economy, if the economy doesn't improve, it remains despite the controversy over Roe v. Wade and the impending decision there and the school shootings, which is injected gun control. These hot button issues are being injected into into our daily uh, politics. But even as those numbers b- bounce up based on events, the economy is still an order of magnitude. It is it is at the top uh, because people are living that in their daily lives uh, at the gas pump, at the grocery store. And unless that something causes that to abate, uh, it's going to be the number one issue in November. And that's obviously bad news for all these incumbent Democrats. We've talked a lot about former President Trump, his effect on the elections. He's endorsed a lot of candidates in these Republican primaries. 
We don't hear much. You don't see President Biden stumping for any Democrats. Is it just that they don't have a lot of races to, for him to get involved in? Or is this just the way it's going to be even in, in the fall where Democrats aren't looking for help from the president? Well, right. I mean, look, I'm sure Biden would go to states if people asked him to come. They just don't want him there. I mean, he's he's his approval rating is hitting all time lows in the latest round of polls. He's at you know, low 40s in our real clear politics average and his disapproval is spiked up to over 55%, which is, you know, one tenth of a percent off its all time high. So um, he's just not a valuable asset. Again, in a state like Arizona, Nevada, Georgia, Nor- uh, New Hampshire, that, that where, you know, he won those states, but barely in 2020. Um, you know, he might be more of a more of a, uh, a help to folks who are in, in deeper blue states um, and certainly to you know raise money and, and raise attention. But he's just he's he's more of a drag on the party right now than he is an asset. And so I think that's why you're seeing him. Um, there was talk. I mean, Jen Psaki was saying the president's going to get out more and he's going to travel the country more. And and, and he has more. he's been out more. He goes to he has, does but- manufacturing messages by American. He does that. But to your point, he hasn't been stumping for candidates. And and the obvious reason for that is that they're not asking him to. Back to former President Trump. He is very confident about the November midterms. A great red wave is going to begin right here in Arizona. And it's going to sweep across this country. That would give Republicans control of Congress. This is maybe the most important election we've ever had. But I do believe that 2024 will be even more important. Now, Trump has long hinted he'll run for president again. And there are reports he's considering announcing that before the November elections to link himself to that GOP midterm success. Well, first of all, I don't put anything past Donald Trump. I mean, nobody and and even people close to him don't know exactly what he's going to do. They have inklings of which way he's leaning. But, you know, Trump Trump is nothing if not bold in terms of making decisions and and bucking conventional wisdom. So while it's it hasn't been done before and it would be pretty uh, dramatic, uh, I wouldn't put it past him. That being said, I think it would be a mistake because it would play into the idea that I mean, Democrats want this election to be about Donald Trump. They want it to they want it to be about MAGA Republicans and the ultra MAGA and, you know, the MAGA king and all that stuff. Um, and in order to scare those middle ground moderate voters away from Republican candidates and into their arms. And so if Trump, you know, he's already around the country and holding rallies and doing all those things. But if he were to if he were to announce that he was in fact, going to run for president in 2024, I think that would just crystallize it for a lot of voters um, and certainly would play into the Democrats' hands. So I don't expect it to happen. But again, it's Donald Trump, so you can't rule anything out. What would that mean for Mike Pence or what would that mean for Ted Cruz? I would assume they're eyeing 2024, possibly. They have backed other candidates right up against and bucking former President Trump in different races across the country, especially in Georgia, like Pence. He rallied for Kemp. I mean, what does it mean for them? Well, I mean, irrespective of the sort of endorsement game and who's winning and losing and all that. I mean, if you look at the if you look at the polling data, it's pretty clear. It's Donald Trump's nomination if he wants it. I mean, there's nobody, even Ron DeSantis, who is the probably the the strongest possible 
alternative to Donald Trump, uh, you to take Donald Trump out of the equation and DeSantis goes to number one. But if if DeSantis runs when Trump runs, uh, Trump is a clear winner. Now, those are the polls now. Could those change over the course of a, a of a primary battle? Sure. But I just don't expect anybody to run against him. I think it'd be a suicide mission. And Ron DeSantis wouldn't want to do that. I mean, he could wait four I more don't years. Think too. So, he no. could wait four more years. Right. Exactly. And I, I just don't see the I don't see the political benefit for him of going up against Donald Trump uh, in this environment. Listen, there are plenty of Republicans across the country who like Donald Trump, but don't want to see him run again. They think it's time for him to move on and for the Republican Party to move on and, and would openly and eagerly support DeSantis or, or someone else. And so anybody who was who was around and running before Donald Trump, any of these guys who ran against him, Ted Cruz, Chris Christie, um, Jeb Bush, Marco Rubio, I, I, I just think They've already had their chance. There are new, different alternatives like DeSantis or Tim Scott or Nikki Haley or uh, Christy Nome or somebody like that. Um, I just think the the party is different now, and and their chances of winning a nomination for, of the Republican Party going back and choosing someone uh, pre Donald Trump from the pre Donald Trump era is just slim to none. I'd be shocked if it happened. Tom Bevan, co-founder, president, Real Clear Politics. Thanks very much for uh, joining us. You got it, Dave. Thank you. From the Fox News Podcasts Network. I'm Ben Domenech, Fox News contributor and editor of the Transom.com daily newsletter. And I'm inviting you to join a conversation every week. It's the Ben Domenech Podcast. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. This is Andy Puzder with your Fox News commentary. Coming up. U.S. traffic deaths are at a 16-year high, nearly 43,000 last year, according to the National Highway Traffic Safety Administration. That's 117 a day on average. Pedestrian deaths are at a 40-year high, nearly 20 a day. Transportation Secretary Pete Buttigieg says the Biden administration wants to do something about it. I think every one of us can close our eyes right now and picture people we've known, friends, family members, a high school teammate, a co-worker, someone whose life needlessly ended far too soon because of a crash on our roads. That was in January, announcing a new national roadway safety strategy. Road deaths are up 18 percent from 2019. Traffic deaths are up because people continue to engage in some unsafe behaviors that put themselves and others on the road at risk. Pam Shadle Fisher is the senior director of external management with the Governor's Highway Safety Association. That's a nonprofit representing state and territory highway safety offices. We've seen during the pandemic, which has been incredibly frustrating to us and it's continued, we've seen this increased uptick in speeding, particularly high rates of speed on many roadways, um, impairment by alcohol as well as drugs. And oftentimes it's a combination of substances. Distracted driving uh, remains a huge problem and, and probably is grossly underreported. And we're also seeing uh, a number of people out there who are not wearing seatbelts, despite having a very high seatbelt usage rate in our nation. That's almost 90 percent. Um, we are still seeing people that are not buckling up. And so in the event of a crash, they are less likely to survive the injuries that they can sustain. Yeah, I think I've seen more recently a return to, God, I don't know, the 80s, the 90s, more uh, campaigns, you know, click it or ticket, buckle up for safety stuff that I thought we were well past. I'm surprised it's as low as 90 percent. 
Well, it, you know, it's frustrating. Um, I mean, we've made tremendous inroads. Click it or ticket has been a huge success, and but we still have, you know, half the people who die in car crashes in our country who are literally inside the vehicle were not wearing seatbelts. So we haven't, you know, we haven't solved the problem yet. We've made tremendous inroads because of that campaign, the combination of both high visibility enforcement and, and public outreach. And you'll talk to most people and they'll say, oh, I always buckle up. But when you look at what's going on out there, there's still this, you know, small contingent of people that say, I'm, I'm just not going to put a seatbelt on. And, and we know it's the most effective safety device we have in a vehicle. Yeah. Uh, getting back to the pandemic, we knew at, le- at least anecdotally, and maybe you have more empirical evidence of it, um, that there was more reckless driving and higher accident rates, even though there were fewer cars on the road. Maybe the fewer cars on the road led people to drive more recklessly, thinking they could, or maybe few people were pent up uh, because of lockdowns or whatever. And then, like you said, maybe people were doing more drinking and taking more drugs. Um, but that that rate has carried forward to last year, too. Yeah, it has continued, which is incredibly frustrating to us. I mean, we had made significant strides in moving the needle in the right direction, which is towards zero. And uh, what we, we truly believe, and there's been a lot of research that's been done by the National Highway Traffic Safety Administration and social scientists as well. And what we believe is that, you know, during the pandemic, some of those folks who were still out there on the road were less risk adverse. So they were more likely to engage in some unsafe behaviors. And we had a contingent of folks that, you know, saw those open roadways and said, hey, let me put the pedal to the metal, see what I can do here. Um, Couple that with, we know that there was a cutback in enforcement and, you know, traffic enforcement, equitably done traffic enforcement is a proven countermeasure for getting people to comply with, you know, road safety laws. But we saw less enforcement out there in 20 and in leading into 2021. Some of it was pandemic driven because officers were being pulled to to do other things related to the public health crisis. We also know that the murder of George Floyd uh, in some departments, officers were told to stand down and there was less of a focus on traffic enforcement. But when when traffic enforcement is done equitably and the focus is on those risky driving behaviors, high rates of speed, impairment, distraction that put all road users at risk, it is a very effective tools. So those combination of things we know have definitely had an impact on what's been happening out there on the roads. And, the, you know, the gains we made over the last you know decade, we've erased and we're going in the wrong direction. Are people are we driving faster? Even, you know, the most base car now, you can drive pretty fast and not even really feel it. Whereas, you know, back in the day, a lot of cars would wub, 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 wub once you got over 65 or 70 miles an hour. Yeah, I mean, cars are designed uh, in a way that they they drive much more smoothly, they accelerate faster and so forth. And, and our organization, the Governor's Highway Safety Association, has been saying for a number of years now that speeding has been the forgotten safety problem in this country. We have a pandemic of speeding and you ask people, you know, do you drive the speed limit? And they'll give you that look, you know, like, well, you know, nobody drives the speed limit. But the speed limits aren't arbitrary. They're designed for a reason. They are based on, you know, traffic volumes and and the environment that you're in and you know whether it's a residential community or a highway or whatever i mean the speeds are there for a reason they're established for a reason and and we need people to understand that when you look at the causation for traffic crashes what causes a crash to occur or what are those factors associated with you know how severe a crash was speed is a factor in many of these crashes the higher rates of speed you know are impactful and they they affect not only the people in the vehicle but outside 
side. So we've got to rein in the speeding problem in this country, because when you look at the numbers, over 10,000 people every year are dying in crashes where speeding was a factor. And if we can get drivers to slow it down, um, it can make a difference and people's lives can be saved. And let me add to that. I mean, we're we're dealing with, you know, exorbitant gas prices. The prices of gas keep going up. Um, The faster you drive, the more fuel you burn. So if you're concerned about your pocketbook, as well as your safety, the best thing you can do is slow it down. Is there anything to the notion that vehicles are getting safer for the people in them and less safe for the people who they hit? You know what I'm saying? Yeah, I do, Chris. And I think it's a really great question. You know, um, we when we look at the pedestrian uh, safety problem in this country, and that's the other pandemic we're dealing with as well, because those numbers continue to go up. Um, vehicles have gotten much safer for the folks inside. There's no doubt about it. And, um, you know, I talk about the steel reinforced safety cage, which was the beginning in seatbelts. And then you've got all these other features that have been added to it. But when you think about, you know, the impact of that vehicle to someone on the outside, sedans um, are less likely than an SUV or a pickup truck to kill or injure somebody. But the vast majority of pedestrian fatalities are usually, you know, a a sedan, you know, passenger vehicle like that, that struck a pedestrian. Um, And speed is often, you know, the deciding factor. But when we look at SUVs and and pickup trucks, you know, the way they sit, they sit much higher and where they strike a pedestrian or a bicyclist, someone else on foot, it could be a scooter operator, whatever. um, It's a higher, it's at a higher location and it's more likely to cause those significant um, fatal injuries. So, you know, we're really pushing um, the automakers to think about, you know, how they are designing vehicles so that they are less likely to cause those, you know, those fatal injuries in the event of an impact with somebody outside the vehicle. Um, But, you know, I go back to, and, and that's critical. We need that. We need the vehicle manufacturers to understand that. But we also need the drivers of these vehicles to understand that, you know, they have a responsibility to operate their vehicles safely and to ensure that others have the right to the road just like they do. Vehicles are getting heavier too, right? It's the size mm-hmm. and also electric vehicles are, the battery is, you you, th- you know, people may think of electric vehicles as these, you know, light, wispy little things, but the, the undercarriage with that battery weighs a lot. Yeah, I mean, you know, vehicle design is, is an issue and we have to think about, you know, how we design vehicles, not only to protect those inside, but outside as well. So, um, you know, I can't overstate how important it is. And I know, um, you know, in our conversations with with the OEMs out there, um, you know, these are areas that we're, we're shining the spotlight on and others. And I know that they are looking at them, but we really need to focus on this and make this a priority. I don't suppose that there's any standard. Uh, You're talking about vehicle design. These entertainment systems, navigation screens, communication screens. I mean, sometimes sometimes it's using your phone and sometimes it's the in-car stuff. There's no real standard there. Is there evidence that these more complex systems are contributing to distracted driving? Well, there are concerns about it for sure. And there's been research done by a number of organizations looking at, you know, what is distracting the public uh, when they're behind the wheel. Um, You know, our number one priority at the Governor's Highway Safety Association is for the driver to drive, to be 100% focused on the road. And we appreciate, you know, the vehicle manufacturers trying to find ways to minimize those distractions um, as much as possible. Those infotainment systems, as they call them, where you've got, you you know, the radio and all kinds of things connected. Wow, what a convenience. Great. But they need to be as easy to operate as possible. 
And there needs to be a focus on not having that driver have to take their eyes off the road or their, even their mind off of it. Because, you know, driving is not just, you know, visual and manual. There's also that cognitive uh, activity that's going on where you're you're processing all this information around you so that you can literally make split second decisions. Penn, there's money for traffic safety in this infrastructure bill that passed uh, last year. And uh, Transportation Secretary Pete Buttigieg announced this national roadway safety strategy. I don't know what's in it. Maybe you do. Is there anything in there you think that could be making a difference? Basically, the approach is one where it's it's a multi-layered approach where we're looking at the safety of the people on the road, the vehicles, the roadway themselves, that post-crash response, as well as, you know, ensuring people are operating at safer speeds. And when you layer all these things together, it, it, we call it, it sounds silly, but it's kind of a Swiss cheese approach so that, you know, and if you look at a piece of Swiss cheese and there's holes in it, but if you layer the different cheese, pieces of cheese on top of each other, and that's what we're saying we do with these approaches, um, it fills the holes, it fills the gaps so that if one thing fails, there's something else that, you know, has the potential to step in and, and eradicate the problem. So when we focus on making our vehicles safer, when we focus on the behaviors that people are engaging with, when we design roads that are designed not just for cars, but all road users, and we and we make sure that, you know, we're managing at reasonable safe speeds, and we have that care in place in the event that there is a crash, we have um, folks that can come and, and take care of these individuals and make sure that they, they do survive. All these things are critical. And it's not that we haven't been doing these things, but we haven't been doing them in a concerted effort before, where we're all coming together under this one national strategy. So we're, we're we're very encouraged by this. Um, it's the first time we've seen a national road safety strategy come out of the U.S. DOT. Couple that with the dollars, the additional funding that's that's being made available through the infrastructure bill. You know, th- this is great news. All right. Well, let's hope the trends reverse in the this year, next year, moving forward. Pam Shadle Fisher with the Governor's Highway Safety Administration. Pam, thanks for talking to us. Thank you. Have a great day. Put the power of over 100 meteorologists and the worldwide resources of Fox in your hands with the Fox Weather Podcast. Precise, personal, powerful. Subscribe and listen now at foxnewspodcasts.com or wherever you get your podcasts. Rate and review the Fox News Rundown on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen. It's time for your Fox News commentary. Andy Puzder. What's on your mind? America isn't doing so well right now. If you have a baby, travel or eat, you may have noticed. America's small businesses have noticed. The Wall Street Journal reported that 57% of small business owners expect economic conditions in the U.S. to worsen in the next year, matching an all-time low recorded in pandemic-dominated April of 2020. Nonetheless, Biden and his acolytes evidently have not noticed. Either that or they just don't particularly care about the misery their wrongheaded policies are inflicting on the American people. Out here in the real world, inflation remains destructively high. While the administration crows about supposed wage gains, American workers are steadily losing more ground every month because the highest inflation rate since the early 1980s is eating up all their pay increases and then some leaving them worse off in real terms. Meanwhile, gas prices are at a record high and still rising. Grocery store shelves are barren. Mothers and fathers are desperately scrambling to find formula to feed their babies. The situation isn't improving, and given this administration's commitment to tax and spend, at this point really just spend and spend policies, there's no light at the end of the tunnel. 
Now, it didn't have to be this way. Policymakers in Washington could have sat back and watched the market correct itself following the devastation inflicted by the pandemic and associated lockdowns. They could have then taken credit for the rebound and probably coasted to re-election. Instead, President Biden and congressional Democrats wanted to seize what they saw as an opportunity to remake America. With demand already outstripping supply as the country emerged from lockdowns and consumers once again began spending on things like entertainment and travel, the White House recklessly inflated the demand bubble with trillions of borrowed dollars for no better reason than to claim partisan victories and with no regard for the real state of the economy. We are all by now familiar with the results. While inflation is a worldwide problem, out-of-control inflation is a domestic U.S. problem caused and then exacerbated by bad policy. Biden needs to open his eyes and correct course immediately. The longer he waits to address these problems, the more painful it will be on working and middle-class Americans and the small businesses that employ them. But of course, correcting is not in the Biden blame game playbook. Biden and the Democrats are in a deep hole. And the only thing they seem to be able to do is to keep digging. For the sake of the country, they must stop or be stopped at the ballot box before it's too late for future generations. It actually would be a relief to have a president intent on making America great again. Maybe then more Americans could afford gas and food and mothers could find some baby formula. I'm Andy Puzder, former CEO of CKE Restaurants. You've been listening to the Fox News Rundown. Rundown. Stay up to date by subscribing to this podcast at foxnewspodcasts.com. And for up-to-the-minute news, go to foxnews.com. New from the Fox News Podcasts Network. My name is Kennedy, and welcome to my podcast, which will, I humbly say, single-handedly save the world. You're welcome. It's Kennedy Saves the World. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. It's time to take the quiz. Five questions, five minutes a day, five days a week. Take the quiz every weekday at thequiz.fox and then listen to the quiz podcast to find out how you did. Play, share, and of course, listen to the quiz at thequiz.fox.